Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of the PaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to the state you're in. <laughs> well, and, and like the world where cell phones work. <laughs> so um, I, uh, if, if in case people didn't hear, I think it was like last week I was talking about it. Last week I chaperoned my oldest daughter's fourth grade sleepaway field trip in the wilderness. And we were warned ahead of time that there's no cell, cell phone service up there. And I... I mean, I downloaded the, my like regional maps on a Google map so that my GPS would still work and I could still get directions places. Like I, I took some and I, you know, I got everything set up for social media and for my website. So there were blog posts and my team had all kinds of directions and they all knew that I was going to be like out of contact. But at the same time, even though I did all that preparation, I didn't really believe them. And then my cell phone really didn't work. <laughs> For two and a half days. And um, I wish I could say it was liberating, but it wasn't quite enough time. Like I still, I kept it with me the whole time. <laughs> like it still lived in my pocket. Um, well, it's still a camera. Well, it was, and it was still a camera and it still was a good, excellent GPS. And we did a lot of hiking. Um, and it was funny because you'd get to the, you'd hike up these big tall hills and you get to the top of the hill and you'd be like, I have one bar. And all the parent chaperones would be like, quick, check my text messages. Um, so there was like extra incentive to hike, but, um, but yeah, so it wasn't like quite enough time to kind of go like full digital detox. But at the same time, one of the things that was really delightful about it was like, I wasn't up there to work. I wasn't up there to Instagram or to text message. I was up there to have this experience with my daughter and um, not having something constantly like vibrating or beeping in my pocket and not being able to catch any Pokemon. Like I, I really was sort of able to focus more and um, it was a very, very high parental involvement. It was a really, really neat field trip because it was um, these really interesting, well-run environmental sciences classes that had social studies curriculum and sort of ecology and, you know, science curriculum all sort of interwoven. And um, we just learned a ton. We got to hike in the most beautiful places. Um, you know, my daughter and I shared bunk beds in our cabin. She got the top bunk. There's no way I was, there's no way I was sleeping up there. Um, and you know, we got to enjoy massive sleep deprivation together. The, my, my only sort of thing that I, I, I kind of understood why they were doing it. Um, but they, they planned these really excessively long days and I think they really did it to, I mean, these kids are nine and 10 years old. So I think they really planned to exhaust these kids to the point where it didn't matter if anyone was homesick, they were going to be so tired. They were just going to fall asleep. And the kids who 
you know, don't need as much sleep and tend to get wound up at night, they would be so exhausted they wouldn't be keeping everyone else up. But the, the nights were really late and they were like 14 hour days. They were so long and of solid from this class to this class to this class. And many of the classes involved like three mile hikes. Um, we had one afternoon where we had two um, classes in a row that each involved a three mile hike. And by the end of the second hike, like kids were just falling over. Um, I mean, no one got hurt, but you could just see like nobody was able to stay on their feet. Like they just kept tripping over themselves. And, um, and it was, so it was, it was exhausting, but at the same time it was, you know, it was two nights. So, you know, my, um, my daughter, she, she slept in like the next two, two nights after that. Um, but she really like recovered really quickly and she had an amazing time. She absolutely loved it. Um, it seems like all the kids really loved it. And I, I found it, you know, there was so many neat things for me to learn and so many really great, you know, hands-on activities. I got to pet an alligator, which, which just saying. we do talk about a little bit in the bloopers. <laughs> a little bit. Um, um, I'm not sure I'd go there. Like, I'm currently wearing a bearded dragon, yet the <laughs> idea of petting an alligator seems mostly dangerous. So it was quite a young alligator. So it was, be- and it was being held by um, one of the. I'm camp educators. I don't want to say counselor because it wasn't really a counselor. It was like an educator. Um, and um, was fairly well restrained. And we didn't pet it anywhere near its head because it does think fingers look tasty. Um, but uh, so, it was, you know, we got to pet its side and it was very, very soft. Um, I was actually like, I've pet snakes before and I, we got to pet snakes again. I mean, Got to pet. I spent most of my childhood catching snakes, um, but I lived in a place with no poisonous snakes, so that was, you know, a safe, safe hobby for children back back in the day where I grew up. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was kind of neat to sort of they have a very similar, sort of very soft, smooth feel. Um, I was sort of expecting. I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't really expecting slimy, but I was expecting it to be rougher. I guess. Like those scales to sort of be scaly. That was a terrible, terrible description. But um, yeah, it was it was really cool, and we got to learn a lot more about Georgia wildlife and and Georgia fauna and um, or a flora as well. And um, yeah, it was it was it was super cool. I'm glad I went. I mean, I'm still exhausted because I went straight from that. Um, I was home for a couple hours and then I headed to the airport to go to White Plains, New York for Fitness Expo 2.0, which was um, a really neat conference. It was this conference first year and I can see this being a conference that really takes off. Um, And it was sort of, um, I mean, it had, it was very paleo friendly, although it had some other sort of tangential stuff. It was very, um, it was more activity focused, but I mean, I was there talking about nutrition. Um, Kelly Starrett was there, which I thought was like super cool. Yeah. Um, and so I think they're, they're really looking to, to grow their audience and get more people. And, um, I've, you know, I've already sort of said like, count me in for next year. I think that's this, it's a really neat idea. And they're sort of looking at, 
exactly what dates, whether or not they'll do October again. They're considering maybe doing January so that they can get um, the sort of New Year's resolutions crowds. Although I reminded them that traveling in New York in January is a little bit of a gamble. But, Been there, um, done that. Right? Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, so that was really cool. So I got to do, um, I got to do a, uh, I gave a talk and uh, I did a book signing and then I also did a cooking demo and they let me feed my food to the audience. So nice. you've, you've done first, many where they don't. Yeah. The right? first or two years of paleo effects, we were able to do that. And then when they could no longer do it, it was like, wah, wah. <laughs> no, it's so like I've done more cooking demos where I'm not allowed to feed the food to the people watching than I have done cooking demos where I am allowed to. And I understand like food safety and poisoning people's bad and then who's liable. And, you know, it gets very complicated from an insurance standpoint. And I, and I understand it. But at the same time, when your audience is smelling a food, and for me, this audience was not like it was not all paleo people. It was people who were walking by and they'd come to this conference for you know, the, the fitness aspect and they were, you know, lured into like, what's this woman, crazy woman making pancakes with? Um, cause I made my perfect paleo pancakes that use eggs and green plantains as the, the base be of batter. Amazing as giant fluffy waffles as well. They, they make excellent waffles and you can make like, you can make pancakes the size of your head. Like they, they really cooperate for that. Um, which is also occasionally really, really fun to make a giant pancake. Um, so I, I didn't make, I made little ones, but I had enough like so that um, everyone in the crowd was able to get a taste. And, um, and it was, I mean, to me, this is one of the fun entry points for people into the paleo community is the, oh, wait, I can still have something familiar that tastes good, but I can have it in a healthier way. And it suddenly makes paleo so much more approachable. To, so to say like, look, this pancake was made from eggs and fruit. Like if you think of a healthy, clean eating breakfast, you know, healthy, high protein breakfast, like as, as long as you're not buying into the old like 1970s, like eggs cause you to have high cholesterol, which we all know is not true, but some people still have. I really hope we don't have to revisit that because even Time Magazine has taken it back. Oh, so, but I think there's still people who still have this you know, they've grown up with, you know, 20, 30 years of eggs are bad for you and they have a hard time wrapping their head around eggs are a better breakfast than cereal or a muffin or a bagel or whatever. But like you think about what a was really that? healthy breakfast. What was that last pastry you just mentioned? Bagel? Oh, you said it normal. You said it like a Canadian at first. It was cute. Wait, how do Canadians say bagel? You said bagel. I can't do uh, it, but it was like, it was, it wasn't the same. Right now, Matt's like doing a little do loop of you saying bagel with like, wiggity whack, wiggity whack, like ripping the record. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably not, but that would be fun. Well, he was going to, but then your sound effect was so good. He didn't need to do anything. Um, so, but Okay, I have two things I want to say now. Um, so I'll finish the first thing, which was, I mean, the great thing was sort of look at this, you know, very delicious, fluffy, pancake-y tasting pancake that's easy to make and super like, I showed them like, you don't need to measure, right? Like that was one of the things I was showing. It's like roughly, a, you know, 
tablespoon and a half of coconut oil, but you can do three tablespoons. If it's only a tablespoon, don't worry about it. Just put some in because otherwise these are going to stick like crazy onto your pan. Um, so one of the things I like about that recipe is it is so forgiving and you really can just pour things into a blender, blend it up and then cook it. And it's, they might be thicker pancakes or thinner pancakes, but generally they're going to work really well. And, um, and I just be able to say like, this was eggs and fruit. You could have scrambled eggs and fruit and how boring does that get day after day after day. You can have this and it's the same nutritional thing and it feels like a pancake. So how exciting is that? So um, the pancakes made me a superstar. Um, and I think it was it was kind of neat to to have, you know, people going like, wait a minute, like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe paleo isn't so hard if I could if I could eat something like this. And that that's always sort of my my favorite, um, my favorite recipes to cook for people, like whether it's something like a cooking demo or something much more personal, like I'm bringing food to a potluck. Like I would love to bring, I love to bring like a plate of paleo cookies or something, you know, they're, they're, I think we have so many super flavorful treats that are a more nutritious version of what someone's used to. And they tend to, I think, have a lot more flavor and um and i think that sort of like hey look you know you, you can still have cookies like no you don't want to eat these every day um but you can still have something like this and then people go oh wait a minute okay maybe i can wrap my head around all the rest of it because i won't actually be deprived um so that was a really really fun one so the other the other thing i need to say is um my my husband and i actually like downloaded the study guides for the citizenship exam and uh, started having a look at um, all the forms that would have to be filled out and how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. And um, I think we're going to start the uh, process. Notice I said that in the American way of, uh, of becoming citizens. We've been talking you- about doing that for a long time. So I'm well, not going to hold my breath. But I will it's, be a reference for you. Um, I don't even know if I need a reference. You don't need a reference? I feel like you should need a reference. I, I, th- I needed references to get my permanent residency status. Mm. Now that I have my permanent residency status, I basically just have to like prove, prove that I, I know my third grade social studies and um, have a, a vague concept of the governmental structure and um swear swear allegiance and i think that's about it what's your what grade is your oldest in fourth so i'm good okay all her homework she can help you she can help you study had a look at the i had a look at the study at the study guide i was going through the questions i was like oh i know who susan b anthony is because i helped adele on her study project last year so um yeah that was that was I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I know, um, I know, I know, I know, I know most of these things. There was a few that was like, what year was the constitution written? I was like, oh, some short period of time (laughs) after the declaration of independence ish. So there, there was a few that I was like, "Mm, I'm going to have to look that up. Was it 1796? Uh, I think it was 1787. Um, all right. 
Now I have to look that up again. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's that as well. It, it takes like a year. It takes a long time, but I won't get to vote, but that's okay. It's mostly okay. <laughs> Let's not talk about voting. Let's talk about a topic. What are we going to talk about today? Um, we had a... Although I will just say everybody should vote if you have the right to vote, no matter what your beliefs. There you go. Yeah. I think it's really important um, to, when you exercise your right to vote, you are expressing your opinions on, you know, where this country should go. And even if you think that um, your vote doesn't matter because your candidate's never going to win or because your candidate's going to win by a landslide, um, it's still really important to... Or because you don't like either candidate, like... My grandparents always said that you don't have a right to complain if you haven't participated in the process. And I like that mentality. Um, I actually really, I think it's, I think it's Australia that has mandatory voting. So you can, I think it's, uh, we have like tons of Australian listeners. So if I'm wrong, we're going to get so many comments. Um, it's okay. We've already like offended the whole country of Australia like 18 times. So I know every time we say like good day mate or something like that, right? <laughs> we love <laughs> you, all of you over there uh, on that side of the world. Uh, oh, it's a good thing that as a, as a general rule, they have great sense of humor. Um, not, I mean, I'm sure it's not all of them. It's just a generalization of how awesome Australians are and, and New Zealanders and, Tasmanians and <laughs> all the other general you're Australasia. Just, there you people. go. Ni- 19 times. We've offended okay. them all. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. It's, we should not ever mention like countries or geographical locations in any way. Um, so I think I was reading about this and then maybe I have the country wrong, but it was a mandatory voting and um, you can, you know, destroy your ballot. You can turn in um, an empty ballot. So like you don't, if you don't like all the candidates, you don't have to vote for one of them, but you have to turn in your voting card. And I love that idea that you, you know, you, you have to, um, at least, you know, take this, you know, piece of paper and I, I mean, I don't even know how they do it if they put it in the mail or if they have to take it to a place with ID, but like, I love, and of course, however they do, it might not work in America just because the population here is so big. But, um, I love that idea of you have to vote, even if your vote is, uh, I, you know, abstain, from voting like but you have you have to say something so you either vote for a candidate or you write somebody else's name in or you say none I don't I choose not to vote but you like that you have to do something um you know that there would be a lot of things like accessibility that would have to be addressed and early voting and you know there's a lot of um there would be a lot of logistics to work out but I really like that idea of um you know, having to think about it and you can still choose to, you know, not vote, but that you choose to not vote by turning in your vote that says I abstain. Um, 
And I, I, yeah, I, I generally, I just, I think that's a really neat concept for any democratic nation to sort of, you know, really make sure that, um, the political parties in power are representing the, um, desires of the majority. Right. And then I think that's one way that you can achieve that. Um, or people can just be really motivated to go out and vote and express their opinions without being told they have to. There's also that. Um, so sidetracked because you asked me about the topic. I was trying to get us like I was bridging. Tried. And then you and then you mentioned something like voting. I'm sorry, everybody. I tried to get us on topic. You tried, and then you got us off. Clearly. It was you I failed miserably. Did I? This is all your fault. Um, let's talk about our topic because I think this is a really cool one. We have a question from Megan, and this is a topic that I I don't think we've ever really addressed on this show before. And I felt like um, because I have some sort of pre paleo personal experience with something not as extreme. Um, but I, I just thought it was something that many people, many people deal with at various levels. Um, and, um, some resources I think would be useful. So, um, why don't I just read Megan's question and then we can jump in and nerdify the answer. Nerdify. I'm ready. I'm ready to be nerded up. Uh, so Megan writes, my son was born at 31 weeks and with gro- was growth restricted in the womb. The doctors told me to deliver so he would grow more. And because I was having other complications, I was never able to breastfeed, but did pump breast milk for him. They told me to fortify with formula. So I did, um, but stopped when he was six months old. He is still not growing as they would like, but has no health issues. Two months ago, I was told to feed him Pediasure, and I hate it. The first ingredient is water, and the second is sugar. What are your recommendations for paleo foods an 18-month-old would eat that would help him gain weight? So I'm interested to hear your take on this. What we've previously told people is that there are paleo options for nutrient-dense foods. Um, well. I'll change that. There are paleo options for nutrient-dense foods, and then there are paleo options for calorically dense foods, and then there are also foods that are better for toddlers. And so this is kind of a combination of all of those questions, right, where we need a food that's toddler-friendly and that's also nutrient-dense and also calorically dense. Um, Off the top of my head, the two things that I would be working into the diet are liver and coconut milk because they're so nutrient dense and calorically dense. Um, Things like smoothies and stuff like that, that are easy to get in and stay in. I know, um, Sari, you kind of had this experience with your daughter years and years ago before you guys went paleo. So not only can you give like some actual tips of what you found to work, but I'm sure that they're science that you researched (laughs) i did i did i read scientific papers um so 
Um, so yes, I do have some personal experience. I mean, um, we didn't have, um, growth restriction, the womb or anything like that, but my daughter was borderline failure to thrive at one years old and we were under pediatrician orders to fatten her up or, I mean, there was like an, or else it was like, or we call the child protection agency in a month. Like it was, um, I mean, I don't know if they would have called CPA or if it would have been like, and we're going to do some, a bunch of testings to figure out what's going on. But it was sort of like, you have a month. We had a deadline to fatten her up. Um, this was pre-paleo. And the advice that we were given for the one month old was to feed her instant pudding made with heavy cream after every meal. And that did work. Um, but if I could go back and find a better solution, uh, I would in a heartbeat because that set us up for a whole pile of food issues that really lasted years because she was basically trained to eat high fat sugar foods preferentially. And um, it set us up to always be afraid of um, letting her just eat the nutritious foods that was on her plate. Um, and it always, it made us afraid to ever have her um, if she refused to eat. Right. It, it, it sort of it set up some really bad dynamics um, that took a long, long time um, to recover from. So, um, so going back to the scientific literature and growth retardation in a child can be caused really from a deficiency in any nutrient. But there are a few nutrients um, that are really well characterized to cause deficiencies in growth. Um, so, and it really boils down to like macronutrients. So just getting enough calories is super important. And then there's certain micronutrients. I mean, any, all micronutrients are important for, for the growth and health of a child, but there's certain micronutrient deficiencies that have been very, very strongly linked um, to growth problems. And zinc is probably the most strongly linked to Growth. So even a mild deficiency in zinc can cause pretty dramatic uh, growth retardation. Um, some other ones that are really, really important are the animal form of vitamin, vitamin A, so retinoic acid, and iron, um, as well as vitamin D and calcium. And so those things are things that really affect growth in general, but they also affect um, the growth of the skeletal system, which is sort of a prerequisite for the rest of the body to grow. Um, I've also seen general references in the scientific literature to amino acid deficiency. Um, so generally, it's sort of thought that um, there's certain amino acids that are really important. Um, and where deficiency comes from is basically not getting enough animal food protein. But there's certain amino acids that have been studied as being more culprits like arginine, glycine, and glutamine. But um, but it's really interesting is that there's a growing body of literature showing that with all of these nutrient deficiencies, zinc, vitamin A, iron, vitamin D, calcium, that a focus on animal foods is superior to micronutrient um, supplementation. So that's really interesting to me because these are all nutrients that are really prevalent in animal foods. So you think of... Um, you know, zinc being high in meat and seafood and egg yolks, um, vitamin A being, you know, really, really high, again, in meat, especially liver, organ meat, seafood, um, iron, you think red meat, um, vitamin D, you think egg yolks, you think grass-fed meat, seafood, maybe mushrooms, although that's vitamin D too, and that requires some conversion, 
um, calcium we get from nuts and seeds, leafy greens, also, you know, see some, you know, meat, eggs, seafood, um, and, you know, potentially if um, Megan's son tolerates some, you know, grass-fed dairy or maybe grass-fed goat dairy, that's, that's also another source. Um, so I find that interesting because I think that there is, um, at least in North America, this goes with, you know, the information that I had um, for First Foods from the Canadian government as well as the American, is there's this idea that you sort of you introduce some root vegetables and some green vegetables and some fruits and that, you know, there's then you slowly maybe you add egg yolks and there's this idea that meat is sort of a far off food. But there's other countries where, like, I believe Australia, again. Um, be careful what you say. I know I could be totally wrong where meat is recommended as an early food because it actually is, especially when it's braised, when it's uh, blended and pureed, um, when it's something that's already, you know, very, very soft, like liver, this is more digestible protein than the protein we get from any kind of plant. Um, and it's actually very, you know, easy to digest, low allergen first food um, when, you know, prepared in a way that the baby's not going to choke, of course. Um, so I, I, I think this is really interesting. So for me, with my daughter, um, she was really protein averse and it was really, she was ex- incredibly tiny for her age and super, super skinny until, you know, we were probably six to eight months into our, maybe even earlier than that, into our paleo journey. And I started really working on getting her to eat meat. And it really was, you know, she had to eat six pieces of meat and it amounted to about an ounce or three quarters of an ounce. And we worked up from there. And for her, I mean, she had sensory processing disorder and had been eating, you know, instant pudding made with heavy cream, but she, everything that she ate before paleo was mono texture, super soft, didn't require chewing. And we realized that she really didn't know how to chew. She didn't have the jaw coordination or the jaw strength to chew. And she was afraid of choking. So she would chew a piece of meat for 20 minutes. And it actually took, you know, we did some occupational therapy with her. We also just worked with her ourselves. And, you know, I explained to her that I knew the Heimlich maneuver and could save her and sort of that took a lot of um, compassion and reassurance and and sort of a positive um, approach to everything to to get her to be comfortable enough to basically slowly develop that coordination and that jaw strength. But as soon as she started eating a substantial amount of meat, she started putting on muscle like crazy. And um, she's just gone into this amazing um, uh, growth spurt where she's grown like five inches this year so far. And, um, and I, I think it's in large part that she has over our paleo journey, become a kid who just loves, you know, liver hamburgers and that's her favorite food, eats tons and tons of veggies. Um, you know, she really eats, I think a, um, as close to a perfect diet as you could get within the, 
um, framework of also, you know, wanting these kids to be kids and wanting them to enjoy an occasional treat and wanting them to be able to be normal at a birthday party. So, um, so those are, those are the, the nutrients that sort of came out of the, um, scientific literature. I definitely think, um, granted, I mean, 18 months old, it's not, it's never fun to do blood tests on your kid, but, Micronutrient analysis could be really informative. What would you would you want to do micronutrient analysis in your toddler? If they were a failure to thrive, I mean, I think definitely doing um, whether it be an elimination diet or micronutrient analysis, or you know, I would be looking at. To me, there's often um, the other component of the uh, failure to thrive that we haven't talked about that we have actually have talked about in other podcasts before is an allergic reaction or an intolerance to the food that they're eating, which prevents digestion from properly happening. So they might be eating a food, but not actually absorbing the nutrients. And so that's another thing that I would also look into. Like you said, if they tolerate dairy, well, a lot of people think that they're, they or their kids or something like that tolerates dairy and they might not realize that in your case, like your family has severe dairy allergies, which you didn't realize until later when you removed it and gluten and saw such an improvement, right? And same thing in my family, like um, the difference that we see and each kid is different um, and that sort of thing. And so it's like, I didn't know that that's what was causing issues, for example, with Finn's skin that he had an issue with acidic food, nightshade food, and dairy, and that that was causing, like, such significant problems in him that he was suggested to go on steroids. But, so we think about that from the surface perspective, but I also want to say that it can also prevent micronutrient absorption, which can be on both the failure-to-thrive non-weight gain spectrum, as well as what I experienced when I lost my gallbladder, which is that my body wasn't absorbing nutrients, and therefore it was constantly telling me to eat more and that it was hungry, and I was gaining weight. So, um, because it wasn't getting nutrients, it was like, eat more, eat more, eat more, versus you know, losing weight. So it can go either way. And I think from my experience, I don't, I mean, I don't have experience with this in toddlers. My kids were always very robust, <laughs> like very, um, not so much Wesley, but not, like my two older boys were so robust that it's just not something um, that I ever kind of uh, had to deal with. But the other thing that I would suggest is potentially looking into if there's anyone that she could get donated breast milk from. Um, mm. The, I mean, at 18 months, maybe that window has passed. But for people who have small children who have failure to thrive and who are being told to fortify or use formula, um, we've talked before about some um, places that you can um, find affordable breast milk if you don't have a milk bank in your area it can be really expensive i'm hearing now insurance is sometimes covering um it through a milk bank but you can also find some 
I don't want to say underground, but there's like, you know, Yahoo group, Facebook groups, um, different things like that. If you just do a Google search um, to see if there's a local mom near you that might be willing to donate some breast milk or even if you're willing to pay for the shipping, um, a lot of women will actually ship it to you. So I had a, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I had a friend from my first prenatal group with my oldest daughter who was having supply issues and I was having oversupply problems. I had to pump to relieve the pressure because my child just could not, you know, consume as much as I was pretty much. (laughs) I was pretty much soaked for like a year and a half. Um, And, uh, and so I was, I was pumping just to relieve the pressure and I didn't want to throw it out. So I was throwing it in my freezer and she ended up taking, you know, everything that I could spare because um, between what she could make and what I could spare, I mean, she was still sometimes needing to do formula once or twice a day. And, um, and so, you know, sometimes maybe it's a friend that you don't, you know, just have that conversation. Um, it doesn't need to be, Hey, will you give me some of your breast milk? It could be, uh, Hey, do you know of, and then see if an offer organically presents itself. But well, the other thing too, is that a lot of women who are breastfeeding understand how important it is. So if you share with them that you're family is having health struggles that could benefit from that. I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night to pump extra for when I was donating breast milk because it was important to me and I wanted to be able to give that back, right? So I started out just doing what you did, which is like I had extra stuff and I didn't want it to get wasted. And so I found somebody to give it to. And then once I had a child that I met that I knew was whose health was being improved by my donation, it was motivation for me to be like, hey, I could make extra milk for her. Like, I'll I'll pump in the middle of the night one time. It's not going to, you know what I mean? Like, it was worth it for me to do that. So anyway, my point is that there are some alternatives. The other thing that I want to mention that you said that I found to be really true with not just my kids, but with a lot of people who I've talked to through the blog and podcast is that, a lot of children, um, whether or not they have failure to thrive, have a difficult time with protein consumption. And um, one of the best ways that I found that almost all kids will consume protein is if you braise meats, if you make them very tender. Almost all kids can gum like um, uh, pulled pork, you know, roasted shoulder or um, a pot roast that's been braised in broth. And these are nutrient-dense foods that are going to, you know, be the protein that Sarah was talking about, but also that's going to be easy for them to chew and get used to as they build up those muscles. Um, And so, you know, where you can potentially, when you're talking about failure to thrive, add something like um, paleo protein, you you need to consider if that's something that you want to do. I know for me, there's a brand called M&H Naturals that's like hydrolyzed beef protein. When I was training all the time, I loved that. And I would add collagen and the beef protein. You could use coconut milk and then you've got, you know, something that you could potentially give with scrambled eggs in the morning and you've got a mushy protein source that's also calorically dense. So there's a lot of different things that I think people can do without resorting to Pedialyte or Pediasure. And for other people that are recommended to use that, maybe your kids are sick. I know for me personally, when, you know, our kids got the flu like a year or two ago, um, 
we were told to get that for them. And I just kind of nodded my head and smiled. And then we went to the grocery store and we got like apple juice and we made broth and then we cooked rice in broth and um, it had just as many nutrients and definitely more absorbable and less upsetting to my kid's stomach than I would if I would have given them something like a product that's the first couple of ingredients are not foods that their bodies are used to consuming. Um, so just to add to the um, uh, protein isolate point that you made, um, in a number of scientific studies looking at interventions for poor growth in children, they've used uh, whey protein isolate or they've used skim milk powder. And, um, you know, I realized that dairy is, um, you know, it's a, it, there's pros and cons to it. So, um, certainly with high quality dairy, the arguments against it are not as strong as with, um, processed industrially produced conventional dairy. But, um, you know, it's still important to keep in mind that sensitivity rates are, are very, very high. But if that is something that your kids tolerate, you know, the science behind that supporting growth is pretty, um, it's pretty conclusive. Um, and there are like, you know, a whey protein um, isolate. So it's a hydrolyzed whey that the whey protein is broken up into very, very small peptides. So it's a lot of peptides will be two, three, you know, six amino acids long. Um, and that dramatically decreases the allergenicity of that protein. I mean, I personally am so sensitive to dairy that I can't do a whey hydrosylate. Um, but it, you know, it is something that works for a lot of people who can't do any other kind of dairy protein. Um, so it's definitely something to think about in that situation. And, um, you know, some people will find, right, there's a difference between the A1 beta casein and A2 beta casein. So maybe using goat milk or sheep milk powder, which is something that you can get, might be a better option. Um, I know, Do you know that there's also coconut milk powder. We'll yeah, put, so the, we'll put the, issue with, the issue with coconut milk powder is the, the reason why dairy milk powder is... Oh, because it doesn't have protein. It is, yeah, be, I is because we of the protein. protein. Yeah. yeah, so you know, coconut milk is a great source of healthy fats and just calories. Um, and so that's a great way to add calories if you've got a kid who's just really struggling to consume enough calories. Um, but protein seems to be a really important part of impacting growth, especially... Um, whole animal proteins that are rich in micronutrients because it's the micronutrients found in animal proteins that tend to be deficient and at least contributing to so, growth problems. Here's what I, here's, here's my, here's Stacy smoothie. Okay. I'm neither a medical professional nor someone who can give you nutritional advice. I'm, I'm writing it down. Stacy's smoothie ingredient one, chicken liver. A handful of spinach and then I would use the M&H Naturals chocolate beef protein I know it sounds weird but I'm telling you it tastes like a milkshake and your kids will gobble it up my kids love it when we put that in smoothies then I would use vital proteins collagen peptides and I would put in 
coconut milk powder. There's only one brand that we found that doesn't have maltodextrin, which is corn-based. So you're going to need to use the brand that we link in the protein. I forget in the in the show notes. I forget what it the brand name is. But you can use that, and then you can add. The coconut milk powder have fat content, or is it yes? Like it's very cool. yeah, it is. It we use it to make um what are called hot chocolate squares. They're like gelatin. But it gives the texture of hot chocolate because it's, like, fatty. It's amazing. I love the stuff. Um, I've never used it in a smoothie because our family does not have a problem gaining weight. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But but it would definitely be uh, a nutrient-dense, high-caloric, high-fat content additive. Um, And then you can either add coconut milk, like, from a can with some water or... um, just water if you're using the coconut milk powder and then I would add a frozen banana and I would blend that up and it would be like an amazing milkshake and if your kid is really green averse then don't do the spinach but everything else in that I'm telling you it's going to taste like a milkshake and it's going to be super nutrient dense that's pretty close to what I used to do when I was training and I wanted to gain muscle. Um, I just didn't do the fat part of it because I was trying to get high protein, low fat. So I did almond milk, but um, yeah, I can tell you that that's a good um, combo. The M&H natural chocolate beef protein isolate have stevia in it? Yes. So I'm going to (laughs) say... Sarah's going to say she's not on board with that. Did Did you know that stevia is not approved in Europe? Did not know that. Well, there's also, I know that we've covered stevia on the show, and I have a bit of a different opinion on stevia when it's whole food sourced um, versus some of the different ways that we've talked about it, like sugar alcohols are in a powder, what's mixed with a whole bunch of different things. So for me, I try to pay attention to the source of what I'm using. And then I also, like, it's not something that's in every, that I would eat every day. Um, I don't put it in my coffee. I know that the boys do sometimes. And frankly, like for me, as far as the options that, or what they used to use, um, it's just not something I'm highly concerned with. But to each their own. You know, we're not technically (laughs) paleo parents anymore, so I can tell people, we eat this stuff. Um... (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. To each their own. Um, for you. I think there the, are some unsweetened paleo brand protein powders, or like you said, mm-hmm. high quality whey protein powders. Um, it's just that the cleanest ingredients, best tasting for me, happen to be MH Naturals. But like you said, if somebody is looking for something unsweetened, um, you could find that. Or you could do cocoa powder with collagen you're just not going to get the full amino acid profile and then i would recommend that you would put in the glucosamine feet powder (laughs) but it won't taste like feet if you have all those other things in there and you're going to need to add a sweetener then if you don't have the mnh naturals component so like honey or maple syrup or something like that yeah i i mean i certainly would feel because stevia is known to be an androgen receptor binder and because of the role that um androgens play in growth and development and puberty and fertility and all of those things. Um, I, I would feel very uncomfortable giving something with stevia to, to an infant. Um, 
we can both agree on chicken liver. Yes. My chicken liver mousse on apples, a kid would probably really like that because it's a smooth, it's a really smooth, Mm. creamy, and I have a recipe for both coconut milk version and uh, heavy cream version on the blog. That would be... um, A kid might also like that on, um, like, that'd be really tasty on, like, plantain chips. Yep. Might just be good with a spoon. Yeah. I like it with apple slices, um, but I bet you a kid would like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I got... Wesley will eat it. My older boys know what it is. They won't eat it. <laughs> They'll totally eat chicken liver gravy, um, but they're not they're not big on the eating weird things. They're like in that, you know, tween boy stage. So, all right. I think we've covered all the things that we could potentially cover. Um, and hopefully, so. and even if someone's not having failure to thrive, I think we've given some some thought-provoking thoughts. So. Thank you all for listening. I hope that we've given you information that you can use, despite the fact that Sarah and I agree 99% of the time you just witnessed what happens, that we're two independent thinking people. Um, I, I actually really enjoy the shows where we're like, um, I might not agree on that. I know. I think what I think what I love about when we do hit these points, because I mean, we have like four right. times or something, right? For sure. Exactly. Um, I love that it's an example of how to disagree respectfully because like, I totally respect your opinion. I don't share it, but like, I think that it's, um, I think that it's really important for us to always sort of remember that not everything in this community is cut and dry and not every, not all of the, you know, we've got, we like to divide things into yes lists and no lists, but there's this entire range of things in between where we can get some guidance maybe from the science, but it's not like definitive. So I really, you know, when it, when we hit that in between, we use a lot of our own personal experiences to inform how we're going to handle that. And I think that it's really important to understand that there is a huge amount of this that is not set in stone. There's a huge amount of this that really is individual. And we should take that and feel empowered by it rather than feel, you know, frustrated or confused. I think it's sort of natural to be like, well, are green beans paleoer, aren't they? But I think that it's really important to sort of go, well, look, you know, here's here's this pros list and this cons list. And now you get to think about whether or not this is a good choice for you. And I think that when we do hit those moments of disagreement, I think it ends up being even more informative for people listening because it's the thought process that goes into it that then becomes, you know, they can think about, you know, rather than just saying, here's your yes list and here's your no's list. It's like, here's your pros and cons on this, you know, go forth and be an independent thinker. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that um, the idea that people can see that there is no paleo perfect, that something could be not paleo for you and defined by the science. And we still make a decision to include that in our life and vice versa. Like you might eat corn at the movie theater, but I'm like toxic skull face (laughs) with corn, (laughs) you know, like it's just, that's what works for each of us. And that's what we want all of you to do is figure out what works for a family. And also, and for me in the context of this situation, like, 
if that's the failure to thrive and that's the worst ingredient that I would give my kid versus like instant pudding or Pedialyte or something like that, it, I would just not even think twice about it. I would be like, okay, well, this is just something I'll think about pulling off later. But if you're concerned about the things that Sarah highlighted and you want to find an alternative, you can definitely do that, right? So it's like we each have to make our own choices based on what works for us. So. I'm, I'm raising the roof for you right now. Raise the roof. Even though you don't agree with me, you're still raising the roof. And that's because I know. And we're that's respectful because of, human beings. And the thought process. Like, I, I don't agree with the conclusion, but I agree with the thought process. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think um, – and that's – that's what I think is really important to communicate. And so I think you summarized it really well. So sweet. Thanks all for tuning in. Don't forget you totally can leave an iTunes review and we will give you smoochy boochies in return. I mean, not literally. <laughs> no, actually I won't even want you in my personal space for a hug, but I will totally blow you a kiss. <laughs> blow, blown kisses across the room. Totally on offer. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Like, who needs brooches when you can wear a lizard? I've never enjoyed brooches, but I do enjoy... you got to find out if she can, like, dragon. hold a decorative scarf closed and, like... She really, yesterday I wore a scarf, like an infinity loop scarf, Mm -hmm. and she like nestled in the hammock (gasps) of it and just like slept there and hung out for hours. Like I went to the bathroom, I did all kinds of stuff and she just like (laughs) chilled in the scarf. So have you brought her to work yet? No, I'm pretty sure that that's crossing the line. I was, I, mean, to, I was talking to Finn about it today. I was like, he was like, you should take her to work. I'm like, I don't know. I was like, I could get a terrarium and just leave her in my office. <laughs> Matt's like, don't do that. <laughs> she's feisty tonight. Yeah. I think she's, she's hungry. Like, That's why she was trying to eat my necklace. She's like, wait, I'm awake. Yeah. I gotta call Matt to come get her. What are you doing? You wanna say hi to Sarah? <gasps> Hi. Hello. Hello. You're so pretty. Yes, you are. She can't hear you. <laughs> no, she really can't. She can't see me either. No. But she is so pretty. All right. Taken like pictures like three times for Instagram today and then haven't gone around to posting them. I am. Yep, that's a thing. Oh, thank goodness for hashtag latergram. <laughs> Um, thank you for tuning in and listening to us. I'm sorry I said um and clicked my tongue to my mouth several times. You don't need to leave <laughs> a Facebook review about that. I mean, a, an iTunes review about that. We we understand that we're not perfect. But we do hope that you leave a review if you haven't yet. It was funny. I um I did some giveaways this week for the new blog. And it was people were like, I have been meaning to leave a review for Paleo Parents for years. I mean, for um, the Paleo Paleo Review for for years. And I just got around to it. I'm like, thank you. So for those of you who, you know, keep meaning to do it and you haven't gotten around to it. Their review review was how, like, boy, the show could really uh, do with, you know, being more scripted. 
<laughs> uh, boy, these people think they say um and trip on their words all the time. Sorry about that. It's a thing. I mean, that's what happens when you aren't scripted. When we're for real for real? See what I did uh, there? Although, if the script says the word um in it a lot... <laughs> I'm going to build that into the script. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the beginning of every line. Um... Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.